It was just Canada Day recently, so I had to talk to one of the other great Canadian YouTubers out there. Maddie Hapoya is here, and I'm so glad you are. Hey, Maddie. Hey, how's it going? Finnish Canadian. Finnish Canadian. For any non-Canadians, the distance between the east and west of Canada is enormous. Like, I, I think some people yeah. underestimate how big of a country this is. But I know you've spent time out here as well. I've seen it on your Instagram. And I, I know actually... As a, like a total coincidence, you and I were both shooting around like Lake Louise and, and I was at Sunshine and you were at Lake Louise like on the same day and we were both shooting like cinematic iPhone videos, totally no unrelated, like full coincidence. <laughs> I was shooting uh, for Polar Pro and you were just showing off the iPhone and uh, yeah, it was just really cool. That's so funny. You should have messaged me or something. I had no idea. That would, well, they're still, so they're cool still like up. 40 minutes away, so I, w- I wouldn't have okay. run into you, but uh <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, that's like, that's the nice thing about where I am. It's kind of like where a lot of tourists come. A lot of the time people mm-hmm. only know about Calgary because of Banff and the mountains. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, Toronto is like the, the, the major international hub of Canada where most people from other countries will have had the most interactions with Toronto. It's funny. I'm always like, you should come to Canada, but but not not Toronto. Toronto's like kind of boring. <laughs> like to me, it's so like normal and just like there's not like I'm I'm into the nature stuff and epic, you know, epic beautiful scenery. And Toronto doesn't really have that. Yeah. Well, you got you got some pretty nice stuff there, but um, it's true. It's uh, different. We're we're spoiled over here. But like, let's yeah. let's start that for anybody that isn't already familiar with your YouTube channel. You love to travel, you love to shoot beautiful things. What is your background in video production before the YouTube stuff that I saw? Like, how did you just arrive on YouTube shooting beautiful B-roll and uh, these cinematic videos? Yeah, it's funny because like my channel, I was super lucky, I think, with timing. So my channel blew up pretty quickly. Like my first tutorial ever is like, I think it's still my most viewed video right now. Um, But people don't see the like, seven maybe eight years of filmmaking and learning that happened before that so I actually um so I studied a couple years of kinesiology sports science whatever you want to call it uh in university and I was like "Ah, I don't know like this is all right but maybe there's something better and then I ended up going back to Finland and I actually spent five years in Finland and during that time uh I just like I was actually studying at a Bible college and I somehow just started watching tutorials on filmmaking. I don't even know why I was watching literally tutorials on After Effects. That's what I started with. Um, It just interested me for some reason. And then I started making making little videos. At first, it was for my church. And then it was like little little skate videos. And then it was wedding videos. And then it kind of just grew from there like we me and my brother started buying some gear and we're like well maybe we should make some money from this since we have all this expensive gear what we thought was expensive back then um it felt expensive at the time yeah it felt felt very expensive um and for some people i'm sure it still is but Mm -hmm. now compared to what i have obviously different different thing anyways um so yeah we started shooting weddings that was like our first way to actually make money from it and uh yeah just kept going from there uh, one thing led to another. We were shooting little commercials, and then I ended up moving back to Toronto in, in 2012 uh, because of my now wife, um, also uh, evading the army. I don't know if we want to talk about that. <laughs> in Finland. You, they have like a, a mandatory six months that you have to do for army, and I I hadn't done it. Usually, do it, you do it when you're 18, and I wasn't in Finland then, so. I never did it. And then they're like, uh, if you're going to stay here, you got to go to the army. I was like, peace. <laughs> I'm going back to Canada. <laughs> um, and then that's when I started working um, full time 
producing videos for a church uh, at first and then freelancing a little bit on the side and then eventually went full-time freelance and then I started started dabbling in like, you know, a little bit bigger commercials. I was starting to shoot stuff for Nike and San Pellegrino and Energizer and these bigger companies. Nothing, they, they weren't like their main campaigns or anything yet, uh, but I was making a really good income from it. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it all started. Uh, how that led me to YouTube? I don't know if you want to talk about that. Is that interesting? Well, th- one interesting point here is that there's there's a ton of stuff we have in common in what we do and what we're interested in that like, you know, we love like video and photography and tech. Um, And then a big difference I noticed is that you uh, kind of had this, well, you had mentioned this on the golden hour podcast. I was listening to just before this, that you had, you know, kind of wanted to get away from client work a little bit and wanting to do like the idea of YouTube and having the freedom to talk about whatever you want is really appealing to you. And you would rather not do so much client work. Whereas I totally feel like I'm the opposite boat that like, I love doing client work and I, I don't want to have to choose between the two of them. And what is it about that? Like, what do you, what makes you prefer doing YouTube stuff or, or not so much want to do uh, something for a client? So it's not that it's not really the client. It's the, it's the way freelancing works. So freelancing you're always waiting on somebody else to pay you or to give you work so like you might be a really hard worker but you might just not be getting work that month so like it's really all over the place one month you might have a ton of work and then the next month you don't have much and then like people might think like oh that's awesome you get a bunch of time off but it's never really time off because you're always kind of waiting for that call for the for the next nike shoot next week or something like that they just like all of a sudden spring on you and so you kind of always want to be available. Uh, so I didn't like that. And then I noticed that the 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 bigger the productions got, so I was I was usually a director of photography, a DP, uh, kind of ch- in charge of the camera department. And the bigger the the production got, the smaller my say, the 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 less my creativity mattered in a way. Like I just basically got slotted in for that one role, and then above me there would be the client, then there would be the agency, and then there'd be these creatives who had these ideas, and then there'd be a director under them, and then then it would be me, director of photography, and so. By the time it got to me, I'd have very little say in like the idea or how it should be edited or color graded or any of those things. And so I'd shoot something and I'd be like, oh, I'd be super pumped on the footage. And then I'd see the end product and I'd be like, uh, I probably would have done things pretty differently. Um, so that was the big thing. And then and then I did want more freedom to be able to film the kinds of things that I wanted to film. Um, I've always been fascinated with documentaries. And so that was that was kind of like, I, I realized that um, shooting commercials and stuff wasn't going to get me to filming documentaries. Like none of those guys were going to pay me all of a sudden to film a documentary. And so that's when I started to think about passive incomes, how to like make the freelancing more consistent or the income more consistent every month um, and then not having to rely on other people to give me work. Um, so then I started playing with passive incomes and then I realized, okay, that works, but it'll be even better if I have an audience. Um, and so that's when I started to do YouTube, uh, with the, with the goal in mind that someday I would be able to build, um, my own brand, my own company that then I could use that to film the things that I want to film. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree. The things that, I mean, 
right now, I think we can especially feel the the utility of having diversified an income. That feeling of like waiting around for uh, the phone to ring when you're a freelancer. I think I think we can all relate to that a little bit more right now than than usual. Like you know, once the whole economy kind of came to a halt for a while, I know there's a lot of people in production that suddenly were just waiting for things to get started again. But as independent creators, like, you know, when we're making YouTube videos, that means we can just decide, Hey, I've got, I've got an idea for a video. I'm just going to make it, you know? And I think there's a lot of people that I saw even take it as an opportunity to create more of their own work and double down on certain things. I mean, even having this podcast, uh, like creating it as a video podcast as well was only possible because I kind of had a little bit of extra time thanks to the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. But even though we're in like a really exceptional moment, these general rules are always at play that if you rely completely on any one source of income, you have that you're at a lot more risk. You know, I I just think it's so valuable, especially if you're uh, in a freelance type situation, it's so important to be able to bring in money from multiple places so that if one slows down, another can pick up the worst situation. And, you know, I've, I've known so many photographers and filmmakers that are, are in this spot where they have one big client and they are still freelance, but everything depends on that one client always coming through. And then if something changes, you know, a new art director comes in and they want to go in a different direction, all of a sudden, you know, where, where are you? That's a pretty big challenge. So yeah, I mean, I'm totally on the same page in terms of having multiple things to do um the the only difference is i i like working for a client like i like um <laughs> I, I like having somebody else pull together a bigger team to make something that's more like technically challenging than i could just pull off on my own you know right yeah i i, I fully agree with that like the 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 maximizing revenue streams has always been my idea is like having as many revenue streams as possible so that I can do client work and I don't, I actually like doing client work. Like I I love working with brands like Epidemic Sound who just like give us kind of like full creative control to make whatever we want to make. That's super, super cool. But I also wanted to get to a point where I never have to rely on that. So for example, you know, this pandemic happens, like I've been totally fine financially. Yeah, it's gone down a little bit, but like as long as I just keep making videos, I'm good. Um, so I just, I like that freedom. And then there's the other, other aspect of, uh, and I don't, I don't, this may sound arrogant in some ways, but, um, before it was like the client, um, you know, whatever big company, and then way, 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 way down is like me as a DP. And now because I have my own brand, I'm kind of like closer to the same level even though obviously I'm not not a big company like like the other big companies I used to work work with or work for but there's there's more of an equal footing and so that means that they respect what I do more and they give me more creative freedom also uh so that's what I I really enjoy about this whole uh YouTube world and this the way that we do things but that being said I do also miss doing those uh, bigger productions, which is a lot harder, I think, to pull off in this YouTube world. But it's something that I think I'm starting to go towards uh, in this next year or two. One thing that I struggle with is scaling up and down productions, doing YouTube stuff versus client work. So for example, like you're, you're shooting on a pretty big camera right now. You've got a C500 um, and you, you know, work with other like real cinema cameras. 
Do you find it harder or more cumbersome to shoot with that on your own when you're doing YouTube stuff? Like, do you ever want to just pick up the EOS R and never pick up another cinema camera? Like, why do you keep using the big cameras, even though they're a little slower to operate and stuff? Uh, I feel bad because I have a I have a C300 and a C C300 Mark II and a C500 Mark II, and I like right now for the last like couple months I've barely used them. So I, there's an interesting thing with YouTube where, especially now I'm doing a lot like pretty much every video is like more vlog style, and sure you could try to do it with like a C500 and it'd be it'd be a bit of a nightmare with <laughs> yeah, how big it is and stuff. But you yeah you could you could pull it off, but um, YouTube there's a sense of like rawness, you know, and, and it feeling real and genuine. And if it's too slick, if it, if it looks too good, mm-hmm, then it mm-hmm. kind of takes away from that. So I actually, I think a lot about like, what's the best tool for that video. So if I'm just doing like a tutorial at the office, sitting down and like, I'm, I'm basically going to be just one angle, then I, I want the best quality and I want it to look really good then because I want, I want to be able to hold the viewer's attention better. But if I'm going to be doing a more of a vlog style review of a camera or something, then I'm just going to shoot it on the ESR because it still looks great, but it's easier to work with and it has more of that like YouTube feel, if that makes sense to you. Well, what, um, so what do you shoot on when you're doing the vlog stuff? Is that on the R and, and also what, like, what are the basic profile settings? Do you shoot in log or do you just shoot in the default, uh, rec color spaces or what? So I, I've been using the EOS R, which is hilarious because, uh, I think I've been using it since it came out and we got so much, uh, me and Peter McKinnon, one of my best friends, we got so much flack from people when we switched over and they're like, uh, how could you like that gar- oh, that camera's garbage, sure. like, I you know, that. like specs wise, it's so lackluster. But then when you start using it, you're like, okay, this, this image is really nice. And so I, I'm constantly doing like a balancing act of like, okay, it's YouTube and, and it doesn't need to be slick, but I also want it to look really good. So I shoot in C-Log. I have the right, like I have ND filters so I can shoot at the right shutter speed. I do all of that stuff. And I'm I'm really picky about colors and stuff, even though I don't have the time always to be as picky as I want to be. So I try to try to make it convenient for myself that I can. So right right now, for example, I'm I'm basically daily vlogging, but weekdays only. I'm taking the weekends off just to keep myself uh sane not not burn out and all that um and so i'm editing filming and editing a video every single day and so i need to streamline some things um and make them faster but at the same time i don't want to just go all auto on my camera and rec 709 and all that stuff because i care about quality Yeah, it's constantly a struggle to find that balance of how do I keep this easy enough that I'm not slowing myself down, but still make it look good enough. And yeah, I, t- I mean, even that decision between like, when do you shoot 4K? When do you shoot 1080? When's it worth it? You know, there's the, there's oh, a constant struggle. I I shoot every video in 1080. Sometimes if I'm like right now, I'm on the C500. If I, if I was filming a talking head, I might do it in 4K, but... I film almost everything in 1080 and then you just export and upload it in 4K and trust me most people will never ever notice the difference. I did actually a, I did a test. I did uh ESR 720 1080 footage and 4K footage and even looking at the raw files 
none of the people that I showed could tell the difference. Well, so here's the thing that bugs me about the R and and I saw your test and I totally agree. Like it's really hard to spot the difference. What I, what I started to realize though, where the difference is, is between full frame and cropped on the R because the full frame image is just, it's much, much softer than when you crop, which the 4K is also cropped. So if you're comparing the crop to the crop, then the 1080, yeah, it looks like exactly the same, but it kind of drives me crazy that whenever I shoot full frame, it is softer. Like it's not bad. It still looks, it's still really nice footage, but it's, I just wish it looked as good as when it was cropped. That's my nitpicking. Yeah, on it. yeah, it's uh, like I, I think Canon's always had a softer, softer look to it. Like even the the cinema cameras. Yeah, C two my C two hundred is very soft. Yeah, and I think that that's like a in the end that's actually more of a natural look. I think a lot of cameras are just way too sharpened, and like we're, we've kind of gotten used to that in a way. But it's. That, like I would ra- rather have more detail than sharpness, and so I feel like the EOS R and the Canon Cinema cameras they have a lot of detail, and then you can add however much sharpness you want to it in post. So I don't really worry about that, but I am pumped on the the, the R5. I'll probably switch over to that as soon as oh, that comes man. out. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to talk about once there's new <laughs> Canon announcements. This this is this is a pretty. It's weird because the whole world did slow down, but there are mm-hmm. still some crazy amazing announcements this year there's a lot of really good stuff coming um i do want to cover some of them that already just happened on the last episode of this show i spent all basically the whole time talking to stephen hackett about the keynote like uh, both the production of it because the video production was beautiful oh it was uh, incredible and, and then also everything about the transition to arm processors so because the, my mind is still very stuck in that world of, the, of that transition but I didn't end up talking about almost anything else, which, you know, it was still a normal <laughs> keynote where there's software announcements and there's updates that came out and there's other things that will start affecting our lives right away. Even if you don't buy a new computer, the nice thing about the iOS upgrades or the uh, Mac OS upgrades is it just feels like you got a new computer or a new phone. Like, especially in the case of the phone, whenever I move to the next OS, I can't, sometimes I forget I didn't just buy a new phone because it can be such a different experience. Yeah, I feel like like hardware-wise, we've kind of hit like a bit of a plateau in a, in a way. I feel like phones aren't changing that much hardware-wise, but then the software is changing a lot more. And so, yeah, you're right. Like that that makes it feel like a new phone when you just update the software. That's kind of the same. Also, I bought a Tesla uh, last year, <laughs> and one of my favorite things about it is that you get software updates, and all of a sudden like your car feels new, like it's changing all the time. And so it never really starts to feel like an old car that you just get used to and kind of take for granted. It's weird. Yeah, I think there's a good reason that the Tesla is the first car that like tech reviewers have been interested in and the first car that, you know, yeah, like I'm curious about like the specs because it's becomes a bit more of a tech product. And I I think that's actually going to become more and more common. Like I think because mm-hmm. Tesla did it so well, I think other brands are going to be picking it up. Hundred um, percent. But since the last since the last podcast, I did install um, iOS fourteen on my phone. I have the beta running, so I I haven't done it yet. How is uh, it? It is shockingly stable. Last year was off. I don't remember. If, I don't know if you remember. <laughs> like if you, I don't know if you ran the beta, but last year's beta was really either. yeah. It was very unstable. It, I just recommend against it it's it was not a very safe situation your phone would crash a lot um and even when the full version of of ios came out again it was one of the less stable releases 
this version, iOS 14, from the developer beta, which like keep in mind, this is the early one, right? This isn't meant for mainstream public. I've had almost no issues, like occasional crashes. I'd say it crashes maybe like 10 to 20% more often. So I notice it, like it's a little bit more, but it's totally fine. Like it, it I sur- I've been surviving just fine. Um, and the improvements are, are pretty great. I mean, uh, okay. I'm always curious when there's new stuff, there's like, I always get excited about everything. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then you use it. And then you re- there's things that you realize that like, or you were excited about that like, just don't work in practice. Like you just don't end up using them. It's not easier. It doesn't solve the issue. And then there's things that you didn't realize were going to be a big deal. And you're like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. Like the way I use my phone. So what what are those things for you? Well, a lot of people end up in the situation where there are those things that totally change the way they use their phone, but then they get used to it so fast that they forget it ever was a change and they're just waiting for the next one. I'm like, this is the, the problem with modernity is we just can't appreciate what we have for, for five minutes. But, um, so yeah, okay. True. The, the best thing so far, the best things like the simplest of being able to hide my extra app screens. Like I, I used to put a lot of effort into trying to organize all of the folders of, you know, page two and page three so that, um, my most important apps were on the first screen and then everything else was somewhere logical, but then I'd get behind on organizing and things would start just filling up further and further into extra screens until I'd put in the effort of either deleting apps or moving them into folders. Um, now there's this like this final page on the right side, the app library that auto sorts all your apps for you, which, you know, th- sounds pretty great. The, the, the biggest benefit though, isn't actually browsing that area. I found like, I still don't end up going in there very often. It's just being able to delete everything else. It's just not seeing all the <laughs> other apps. And then I just search for whichever one I'm trying to use. Um, yeah. So that's I feel like I'm, I'm such a digit. I'm such a digital hoarder that like, when I saw that, I was like, Mm, I don't know. But then I was like, oh, wait, yeah, that makes my phone way cleaner, like way nicer. And I don't have to, I don't have to feel bad about not being like you and organizing my second, third, fourth page on my phone. It lets you be a hoarder and you don't have to feel bad about it anymore. And then there's also the widgets was the other big thing. I, I kind of need to see the, uh, like real developer widgets come out to get a sense of how this is going to be really useful. So the, like the way I've set it up right now is I just put a big one at the top. So for one thing, the best thing that does to me is it pushes all my icons down towards my thumb. Like it's always bothered me that, um, the default on an iPhone is the top. That's where icon like gravity is backwards and all the apps want to move upwards. Uh, but that's further to reach when you're actually using it. So, um, putting a big widget at the top lets you bump all the other things down. Uh, and for me, that's been right now it's the maps widget. Cause I just find, you know, I don't know, it gives me a huge click space if I want to launch it and direct somewhere to go. Uh, I'm kind of giving Apple maps more of a try again. I'd been like defaulting mm, to Google maps for a long time. And it's because of yep. the interface. I just really like the, the, the usability of Apple Maps is really well designed. Um, sometimes it still is sometimes missing. Uh, the, the place I noticed is, is we were hiking yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And the trail we were on was in Google and it wasn't in Apple. It's like, okay, right. these are very, very small trails. Um, but, you know, it's it's a difference. But when it comes to like normal directions, like streets and walking and buses and biking, uh, I found Apple does the same job at this point for me. So 
Yeah, I remember trying Apple Maps like probably a couple of years ago and and it just what it didn't have the same amount of information and so I just like I just ended up going back to Google Maps, but then I'm curious now if they're like starting to ramp up things again. Uh like you said, uh if the if the experience of using it is better then like yeah, maybe maybe it is time to try it again. It's stuff like being able to have that widget now that's new. Uh, the fact mm-hmm. that it can take over your full lock screen. So if you're driving, you don't have to unlock your phone to see the directions of where you're going. And the interface is just faster. So the, the best example is if I'm somewhere else and I want to get home, it's like one tap in Apple Maps that's just like, show me the directions home. And it, it instantly does it. Whereas Google, it's a few more presses. I often miss press more often. I don't know, stuff like that. Yeah. Totally get it. It's like the same thing on my Tesla. It's just swipe down on the navigate button and then you're going home or to the office. It just kind of like alternates. Yeah. Uh, if you're at home, it'll go to the office. If you're at the office, it'll go home or anywhere else it'll go home. Uh, yeah, it's those small things in the end that make a big difference. Well, we're on the topic of iOS. What what are some of your favorite apps? Like what do you use for photo and video all the time? Uh, it's funny. Like, so actually... This is the first, I think this past year is the first year, well, ever since I got the 11 Pro is the first year that I've really, or first time that I've really used the iPhone in my videos more. So because I'm doing vlog style, I can get away with a little bit more also, but it's just so handy to pull out, like instead of, you know, if I'm going out with the family, instead of carrying my big ESR, big microphone and Gorillapod, just taking my, my iPhone with me and most people cannot tell the difference anymore. If I shoot in uh, on the 11 Pro uh, with the ultra wide, I always I always use the ultra wide camera lens just because it it's I think it's different enough. It's wide enough um, for vlogging. It works really well. Every time I post a story, I get at least a few uh, DMs from people asking like, "What camera are you using for these stories?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, every time it's just it's the iPhone. Um, and then, so I've been trying to, I've been trying all the different like filmmaking apps like uh, Filmic Pro and Moment came out with one. And honestly, I've always just had issues with all of them. They, they, they don't work as cleanly as I'd like them to be. I think a lot of it is just the UI. Um, but then also just like weird issues with like um, files or, or frame rates being weird or, or stabilization not being on or, or um, HDR. And I, I wish I had control over HDR in video that I could say that's always on or always off. Um, and so recently I actually actually ended up doing a brand deal for this company called ProTake, um, mainly because the, the UI is so much easier and then it uh, makes it really easy to use um, presets color looks in there uh so i've been using that a lot for my instagram stories for my youtube i just film on the native app and then i'll just color grade it uh in post uh so that's i i'm honestly i'm kind of a minimalist in a lot of ways so i don't use there's probably so many different filmmaking apps and stuff that i could be technically using and i just i always find myself just defaulting to the native camera because it's so easy and quick to pull out yeah, I'm often in the same boat. The one other that I'll go to kind of often is Spark Camera because I can edit within it. So I shoot and edit in the same thing. But for if I'm going to edit it into another video, like in Final Cut, then yeah, I almost all the time end up pulling out the default app. And for the exact same reason that you say, I mean, Filmic, 
Like filmmaking, I've always had this this relationship of like I want to I want to use it more often or an app like it that can record in a higher bit rate, um, be a little more predictable with exposure. Because for example, one thing that still bothers me with video is I'll often still see flicker in mm-hmm. like skies, for example, where nothing is flickering in real life. Like the environment is stable, but something in the exposure is changing its mind. Like moment by moment like every half second you'll see it go up and down in exposure a little bit i think that's the hdr too, like yeah. turning off and on sometimes and that's why i was saying like i wish i could just say like have it on all it. the time yeah yeah i just want it on because it looks like the dy- the the biggest thing that i underestimate I, I i it's funny i made the last time i was in banff with peter like a year and a half ago or something like that two years ago i made a video saying like why i hate smartphone filmmaking and at that point i really did i didn't enjoy it i think i feel like the the results were always pretty bad and then now fast forward i love it it's like everything has changed and the biggest thing that i underestimated was software i thought because the sensor size is so small It'll never look anywhere as good as my EOS R, for example, which is a mm-hmm. full frame sensors, massive com- in comparison. And then with software, you know, they started adding things like HDR. So now the dynamic range is better than my cinema camera yeah. <laughs> in some situations. It kills which me is when insane. I pull up the phone and it looks way better. Like th- there are yeah. a few client jobs now where I was shooting the reference, like, you know, we were just sort of storyboarding it with the iPhone, uh, planning to shoot it on the big camera. And then we're like, why don't we just get an extra shot with the phone? And I've used it because it did look yep. better. And it was situation. Yep. The, the the most obvious situation is a there. It was inside of a room pushing out towards a window. And I'm like, look, like we don't have enough lights to see. We we couldn't possibly see inside this room and see outside. But on the iPhone, it's trivial. Like that's the default on the iPhone. It just looks. You see the blue sky. You see the person inside. And yeah, shooting raw on a cinema camera, it's like, no, outside is pure white or it's pure black. I mean, not even close. And even when, even with still photography, actually, like raw photos out of a, uh, the, what's my other, what's my main camera called? The 5D Mark IV, <laughs> the 5D4 or the R, which are the same sensor anyway. Um, but also the, yeah. the Sony's as well out of the, uh, the other four, the, the A7, <laughs> the A7R4. A7. Yeah, same same situation. Like the dynamic range isn't even close unless you uh, really like push, you have to like massively underexpose it and push it really hard. But the re- the reason it never quite catches up on, on big cameras is the tone mapping isn't as smart. So if you start, th- there might be more dynamic range in the file, but then you open up Capture One or Lightroom you start dragging the shadows and highlights it starts looking like an hdr photo because it's just bluntly bringing all the shadows up and all the highlights down whereas the phone is recognizing like okay this part is a sky and it's perfectly isolated and then the human faces they realize that that's a person and they bring it up a little there's all those little details at work that you don't notice but yeah give you much better results so and then not to mention like stabilization even even Oh my on the ultra wide, yeah. even though it's if it's, it's, it's just electronic, it's, just software. it's so it's good. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And then like, w- I still thought like, okay, well, we can't get like shallow depth of field. But then now, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be in the next iPhones or not. But with lidar, like they're going to be able to probably solve that issue too and make it really accurate um, and have shallow depth of field even in video, and it'll look decent. I assume. Um, so like I'm pumped on, on the things that, uh, 
smartphones are doing. Also, because I feel like in order for companies like Canon with DSLRs and mirrorless cameras, in order for them to keep up, they're going to have to also start doing software upgrades to their cameras. Someday. I think that's the only, I think that's the only way they survive. Like they have to figure out ways um, to make their cameras smarter, just like smartphones are doing. There was a recent episode of, of this show about which camera companies will survive the moment. And just a little update on that. Uh, Olympus is not going away, Done. but <laughs> yeah, it's being purchased well, and probably, yeah, who knows what? I mean, they say they're going to continue to develop the product, but I'm, I think a lot of people are going to write off Olympus and I don't think it will be a, it will not be a major player anymore. That's for sure. Which is sad. I mean, I, I love all these companies. They make such good products. Um, but it's, yeah, it's going to be a hard time for them to, they're going to have to really get competitive right now. So, and I understand it. Like if me as a quote unquote professional filmmaker, I'm using my iPhone sometimes, like, how much more the, the the normal person who isn't doing it for their profession just wants like high quality video or photos. Like it's just so much easier to use their smartphone than to have a beefy mirrorless camera. Oh yeah, by, by a mile. Um, and I just also want to just say one more time for the, the stabilization. It's it's so good on a, on a phone that like I'll often get people commenting on stories, for example, or times that I'm just shooting on just an iPhone in my hand. And they'll say like, which gimbal did you use for that? Or like, that was a gimbal shot, right? So like, no, that's, that's just what iPhones look like all the time. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. Let's get back to some of the announcements though. I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I mean, I want, by the way, anybody listening, I wanted to, I was trying to make a YouTube video that day responding to WWDC and I had basically a job came up before I could fit. So the video was like almost finished and then I had to work out a job and couldn't finish the video. And then by the time I came back to it, I'm like, well, it's not really news anymore. So anyway, so this is it. This is the, this is the coverage instead. The nature of YouTube. If oh, you're not man, first, yeah. then you're too late. <laughs> and the challenge that I have compared to you, I mean, because yeah, my wife and I run like a production company as much as we do uh, like uh, internet creation stuff. So, so are you guys 50-50 or... I always describe it as like thirds because her social media stuff is sort of separate from mine because it's more targeted to like a female audience. Uh, So we'll work on her Instagram and blog doing fashion and uh, lifestyle stuff. And then on mine, it's like tech and creative. And then clients is like another 30%. And it's pretty consistently that's the split of how much we work on what. Going back to our earlier conversation, is that by choice or you just have haven't wanted to or haven't monetized uh your social media in a way to not have to do the the freelance or the other work yeah i mean it definitely we have not tried to move away from freelance like we we like freelance and um like i would love to do bigger like i always say like the thing i would enjoy the most is like big commercials where they can just look amazing um but of course at the same time it's like if the if the, if one of them started making so much more money than the others that it didn't make sense to do the others obviously we would shift our attention but it's also just where the income has happened to fall for a few years now like it's been pretty it's just been stable in that environment we're like cool like that works because it, as things shift we also have something to work on all the time so so once once the companies are like here's here's 50 grand for you to shoot your own commercial are you going to full-time youtube 
<laughs> well, we'll see. Ya. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> it's I, YouTube. YouTube's also YouTube is still hard though, in a way, like because you're because it's you. You know, it's right there in the name. You because because it's your face in it, and like you need to be. You need to have an idea that you think is worth sharing. You need to feel a, a different kind of confidence in what you're putting out there. And YouTube is the place that I. And I, I have the least of that. Like I have, I feel more confident hitting the record button on this podcast because I know I can just talk for an hour and like, I'm bound to have at least one good idea in all that time. Um, <laughs> but YouTube, it's like, you have to be so focused in your good idea, right? You need like five minutes worth of cleverness that a lot of people are going to share. And if it's, if it's just a good idea, but not a viral idea, nobody's going to share it. And if it's just a viral idea, but you didn't get any good B-roll, nobody's going to watch it. Like it's everything has to come together in so many right ways that, that, that I find it's hard because, well, it is, I mean, it is hard. Like YouTube's a hard thing to do, but I mean, I think you've been doing a good job by vlogging as well. That kind of breaks down some of the barriers. Yeah. So I've, I've kind of like, I've had a big, big mental shift in how I treat my channel and how I treat my career. So I think, I think for me, I'm, I'm kind of at a place, I'm not a, I'm not a big spender in life. I don't need much money to to live. Um, and a, as I make more income, I'm not I'm not really using it for anything. So I'm thinking more about longevity and and sustainability. And because I love doing what I'm doing, so I want to keep it like that. And so now I'm kind of treating my YouTube channel more as like a, a documentary project. Like I like I said, I love shooting documentaries. So now instead of videos being separate little like entities it's all part of this bigger documentary narrative that i'm now creating and i'm just adding to it every day a little bit and so through that i'm thinking more about like what do i actually want to do with my life like what do i want to do today like if if you ask me to do this podcast um i'm no longer thinking is it good for my channel i'm thinking is it something that i want to you know, do today? Is that what I want to spend my time on? And if it is, I want to do it. If it isn't, then I'm not going to do it, even if it's good for my channel. And so now I'm like, okay, like I want to shoot some short films. So I've started to talk to some of my director friends that I haven't worked with for a long time um, and thinking like, okay, is there some like short film that we could do together? Um, even if it's, we're not getting paid to do it or anything and we're just doing it for fun. And then I can bring my audience along on that and teach them through that and show them what goes into making a short film or a feature maybe someday. Um, and it treat my life more like I want my channel to revolve around my life versus my life revolving around my channel. I think that's a great way. I mean, I like the sound of that a lot. It sounds great. <laughs> The, the challenge is it too I have, idealistic? Well, it yeah. The ch no, it's not. I mean, it's obviously it's working for you. The challenge I have is that feeling of you know this is only other YouTubers might be able to relate to this, but is when you do something that's really like personal, and sort of for yourself, and you you know it's interesting, but it's going to be hard to get people to click on it. You know you're giving up the chance of this being a one million view video because not a million you're going to have a harder time getting a million people to like join in on your life story than on something more specific you know like uh i think like looking looking at your most of your like million view videos and like the top videos i've had 
not many of them fall into like the vlog category or, or really just like, per, and not even to call it a vlog, like personal storytelling. Um, yep. So it can work. It totally can happen, but it's way less likely for that to take off. Yeah, it. I, I 100% agree. It's that you can look at my numbers and they're all like tutorials or something where I'm providing some value, the highest viewed videos. Um, but at the same time, I kind of just like, I not that I'm completely over tutorials, but I'm also kind of bored of it. It's not challenging to me. I'm not learning through it. I'm just teaching. I'm just giving all the time. And so I feel like if I do that for five years or six years, there's going to be a time where I'm just like, I got nothing to give anymore. And I'm actually not that good at what I do anymore because I've just been focusing on like what I can give the whole time. And so this is kind of a season of like being a little bit more selfish and like self-development, I guess, and, and going back to the roots of like, I think what made my channel so successful in the beginning. Um, and so I'm not worried if a video, like one of my vlogs might get 30,000 views and, and somebody might look at my channel size and be like, oh, that's, that's so little. And then, you know, another vlog, like my yesterday's vlog, uh, I think got, uh, I think it has already over 70,000 views in less than 24 hours. Um, and I'm not worried about that. Like I'm not, I'm not thinking about that. And I think YouTube, that's what makes YouTube like really hard is that it's so easy to get caught up in the numbers and let the numbers and comments and people dictate what you do, which sounds reasonable, but it's actually not, not a good idea because if, if the comments and, and the people's ideas were, were good then they would be making those and they would be doing really well, which they're probably not. They're not yeah, making for sure. them for whatever reason. Yeah, I never um, trust so, the comments in, in directing <laughs> exactly. content. Not a good idea. Exactly. And then, you know, like, sure, it might be great to get 50 million views a, a month on your channel, but maybe a million views a month on your channel is actually more beneficial if it's a really... Uh, tight-knit group, a, a specific demographic um, that works for certain advertisers or works for certain products that you could put out there to help your audience more. Um, so I think it, you, it's more of like, a, it's more of a figuring out what you want to do, what you enjoy doing, and then keeping that sustainable and figuring out how does, how can I monetize that without always having to think about like, oh, I need to, I need to make a viral video, viral video, because yeah. that'll drive you nuts. Yeah, yeah, I hate that up and down, which my my channel is very about, like it's either, you know, my, my baseline is lower and then I get these spikes, but uh, yeah, which I would much rather have just a stable, like a lower number, but that I can predict, which is part of what I like about the podcast. Um, like uh, just in terms of the audio numbers, I know exactly what it's going to be every week. Like much more than, mm -hmm. I mean, their video numbers are, are nothing, but they, even they are less predictable and can range by, you know, 10 times, uh, depending on the video. So I really like it when it's like, I, Hey, I, we all know each other here and we come to hang out every week. So that is definitely the kind of, uh, community interaction I'd rather encourage. But that's, I think it like, this might sound like it only applies to YouTubers, but it's when when the feedback, when you're not getting that super positive feedback, which is essentially what numbers are, then people have the tendency to panic and then they like change what they're doing and then they they panic and they just lose 
what they were what what you were known for or what you were good at and you try to be like other people or try to do what that person's doing because they're getting they're getting a lot of praise or they're getting a lot of numbers for it um and that's when it gets like that's when you're in i think in dangerous territory and like what we don't see is like things like algorithms are changing all the time on youtube or trends are changing so like maybe your filmmaking style isn't very trendy right now and nobody's really paying attention but then next year it might be like the new big thing and everybody wants to work with you all of a sudden or the algorithm on youtube changes a little bit and all of a sudden your channel is getting millions of views every single video and you're growing like crazy i think the main thing as creatives is to never let that dictate what you're gonna do or to stop you that would be even worse to stop you from doing what you do which is what a lot of people do they kind of just like well forget this, like my videos aren't getting views anymore. Nobody's saying that my videos are good. So I'm just going to stop this. And then like, you're just like, you're going to miss out a hundred percent on whatever is coming in the future. If you stop, whereas if you just keep going, like guaranteed, you're going to, you're going to get to do a lot of cool things that you could have never imagined. Yeah. I've definitely seen a good example is that I've seen ideas like memes, like the idea of if you don't release three to five videos a week, you're, the algorithm is going to forget about you and you're going to get lost. People held on to that idea for years after it was true. Like it's, it's clearly not been the case for a long time. And there are still people out there that seem to think you need to be posting daily to be relevant. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of cases, that's much more challenging to make that succeed in the algorithm these days. Like I think it, that is absolutely not where it is, but once people get an idea of what works, they will st- commit to it and remember it longer than it might actually be helping them produce some quality content you know i actually you're you're so right i think it's actually worse to post like if you were to do daily right now it's actually worse every time i post a video and then i post another video about 24 hours later that's what i'm doing right now i notice that that last video kind of gets like cut short like it doesn't get pushed out anymore it's now this new video that's getting pushed out and so it, it might have gotten a lot more views if I didn't post for like three, four days after that. I think a lot of the reason for this as well is the structure of the whole dynamic of the internet has shifted because of the rise of stories. You know, first to a Snapchat, mm-hmm. now it's Instagram, but people have somewhere else to get their fix of daily, right? So they've become less invested in the few great vloggers, you know, like, Casey, Mm -hmm. Casey's not even doing it now. And, uh, you know, so many other people that used to do amazing, uh, uh, Ben Brown, all these other great daily vloggers, uh, really either stopped or slowed down a lot because the, it just didn't matter anymore. You know, people were watching daily from all their friends instead of making a new friend on the internet. Uh, And that's not to say like, it's not dead. It's not, you know, you're, you're proof that like, there's still a way to do it and make it work. Um, it's just not what it, was the structure has changed and you have to kind of realize it's something different now than it used to be yeah i'm so fascinated by vlogging a because like uh that's really what got me into youtube in the first place like i started watching people like casey and then you know other vloggers and i was like oh this is cool and then i saw like all this other stuff on youtube through that um so i've i've done like a lot of thinking and researching and like i've i do agree that like things like stories um have changed things, but it's not the same. Like the connection that people felt with Casey Neistat, yeah. for example, or the inspiration oh, totally. they got from Casey 
cannot it can I don't think it can ever be replaced by something like I, stories. I, th- I think it is a loss. Like even though I'm saying yeah. it's changed, I think it's a worse situation because even though so you're watching the daily content from your friends and colleagues and people you know. So that is good. like that's an advantage, but they don't care very much about making them good and telling a story. And that's, that's the big loss. Whereas like, if you watch Casey, um, you know, you're, even if you just watch his one 10 minute video every day, you're watching great content in that time, like something very thoughtful and intentional. And, um, every minute of it is, is packed full of infotainment. And if you're watching your, you know, your, uh, friends from school, they're just a bunch of idiots and they're just, you know, yeah. <laughs> posting photos of their lunch and uh, who knows what, I don't know. Like stories, yeah, if, the, the quality isn't the same. Yeah, if you want to get like pumped and inspired, all you got to do is just watch like, just watch five Casey Neistat videos and I guarantee you, you will feel like, oh man, I want to get out there and do something. That's just like, that's what you get out of those. And I and I think the only reason why things like daily vlogging really, well, okay, there's there's a sustainable sustainability question i don't think doing daily vlogs is ever sustainable like no. you need you need days off <laughs> yeah, people need yeah. a break like that was that was dumb i, I only did but, it once for three days and i was like nope <laughs> not, not gonna happen I, I i did an experiment last summer i did i think 26 days straight wow. and i already noticed in that time it not only you don't notice that that you're going to burn out because you're so pumped on it and you're constantly getting that like feedback loop of like views and positive uh, comments and that kind of stuff. But it starts taking over your mind first, like everything you wake up and like everything is revolving <laughs> yeah. around like, oh, how what am I going to do today? For, yeah. Yeah, how, yeah. What's the story today? What am I going to what's the video that I'm making? Um, so you need those like those breaks. But I think what drove it to that side was that like back then YouTube um, valued watch time so much. I think they like tweaked the algorithm a little bit and like watch time, you know, before that it was Charlie bit my finger and these kinds of videos, the most viewed videos would get suggested. Then they're like, okay, we want better quality content. So how do we measure that? Well, if people are watching a video for a long time, that must be quality content. Again, this is my, this is my theory here, but uh, that's when watch time started to get really important. And that's when everybody started vlogging and, people that had big channels made a vlog channel and that vlog channel became bigger than their actual primary channel. Um, and that's what drove people to do things like daily because it was just, it was working. People were getting so many views, whereas now it doesn't work anymore. People don't get tons of views for daily vlogs. There are some vloggers like you Nolson, he still posts vlogs every once in a while. They get tons of views. But if you're starting out as a vlogger, like it's virtually impossible. But I do, I miss the feeling of like seeing a new Casey Neistat video, for example, and knowing that like, this is going to make me feel good. This is going to pump me up and inspire me and having that as like a, like a daily like thing. I really miss that. And so that's partly also why I've gone to this more like vlog style um, on my channel now. Well, let's take this as a chance to spread some love. Who do you really like? Like, who are you watching lately that inspires you? So, uh, there was a ton of channels that I was watching and then I kind of just got bored of them. A lot of them were like in the filmmaking space. And then I just kind of, not to knock on anybody, but I kind of just feel like everybody's doing the same thing now. I, it almost, I don't think this is what people are doing, but it almost feels like people are just going through like 
Peter McKinnon's catalog of videos and be like, oh, I'll just I'll do that one today. Right. And they're like kind of doing the same thing in their own style, in their own personality. But it's the same video. It's the same topic. Like I've heard it a million times already. Um, so now I'm way more drawn. For example, uh, do you know Potato Jet? Absolutely. Yeah. So Potato Jet, good friend of mine, love his channel, but I actually like his vlog channel. He started another channel that's his vlog channel and I like his vlog channel more. Not that (laughs) his main channel videos aren't great. They're awesome. But I love seeing like, because I don't talk to him every day, I don't get to hang out with him every day. I love seeing what's happening in his life. And it's kind of like the behind the scenes to his channel. Uh, So I love content like that right now. It's like, it's, that's what I want to see. I want to I want those human connections, human interactions, even channels like like I never really understood David Dobrik before. I was like, I don't get this. And then I was like, OK, I'm going to force yeah. myself to watch a few because like this, there's yeah. clearly something to this. I did the like, same thing. Working. I was like, uh, I was like, this isn't filmmaking. It's not for me. And then I watch a yeah. few I'm like there's something here. Yeah. And then I was like, what what is this? I was just getting more and more entertained. And that's when I realized that like one of the one of the biggest things like humans obviously want human interaction we want you know relationships we want to see people and so david dobrik like he himself doesn't really do much but he's just showing his friends all the time and that's what makes it so great it's like the the interactions he has with his friends the relationships that he has with people that's what makes it so much fun to watch and i think that's what casey was too back in the day he had all these characters all these people that you learned to like at first you're like who is this guy but then after like the fi- uh, you know fifth time seeing him you're like oh i love this guy uh it's kind of like i i equate it to the office like you watch the first episode of the office and you're like this is the dumbest show i've ever watched like <laughs> i don't get it this isn't funny yeah. and then you watch 10 episodes and you're like oh my gosh that's hilarious like that's so dwight like dwight would do that you know and you start understanding the characters and i think that's that's partly why i'm like I'm so drawn to this vlog style content again. Yeah. It like creates this universe and this sitcom. And I, I mean, I got really sucked into mm-hmm. corridor, uh, yep. corridor crew for the last year or so. So I, yep, I absolutely exactly. know that feeling. So I have, I have a, I, I don't want to totally lose track of the, uh, the Mac stuff. Cause I have something I just went into yesterday <laughs> and that totally screwed me over and, and drove me crazy. So I, we're just going on all sorts of tangents here. Absolutely. That's what, I mean, that's what a pod, that's literally what a podcast is for. It's like, okay, a, a video has to be about something, uh, here <laughs> we can go anywhere. I love it. I yeah. tried to, uh, yesterday I tried to install big Sur on my iMac and this is what made me realize it's too old. So the cutoff is 2014. Your machine has to be newer than 2014 for it to work. Nice. Mine is from late 2013. And I can't install it. No, it was very, I'm like, I didn't, my machine didn't feel old until now it feels ancient. And useless, <laughs> what do you actually, I, what do you I, edit on most of the time? So I have, uh, like my main editing, editing machine for the longest time was my iMac. And I'm pretty sure it's a 2013 also. Like I've had it forever yeah. and it still works See, great. It a good like year. I have no issues. Yeah, no issues. Um, but now I've been, uh, I've been on the 16 inch MacBook. Um, because I've been doing this vlog style, I've tried to like keep things more fluid also where, you know, again, my channel's not controlling me. So like if I'm at the cottage or I want to go travel with my family, 
uh, it's not going to be a, like a disruption to my workflow. And so I've forced myself to start editing on my MacBook and I love it. Like it, it just, it powers through no issues. Uh, well, maybe issues with Premiere and programs like that, but like the, the, the laptop itself is great. Um, and then I do have a Mac Pro, which I got uh, at the end of last year, which unfortunately, or was it at the beginning of this year, it has not been used much at all because of this whole Corona thing. Um, I was oh, I was no. really looking forward to making some more like, I have this little documentary series called Being. Um, the whole idea is like, what it's what is it like actually being somebody? Like I did the first one on um, Jesse Korgama. Dr- Jesse Driftwood is his uh, online persona name. I don't know whatever. if I knew his last name now that you say it out loud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Everybody thinks his last name is Driftwood, yeah. but it's not. Um, and then I did one on uh, on Gene Potato Jet, uh, and like I love making those. And then, like I said, I want to shoot more short films and maybe feature at some point. Um, and so I was like, I was pumped to have the Mac pro to do all that stuff. And a a development that happened was that I actually fired, well, not really fired, but sort of fired my (laughs) editor. So I watched the video to learn more. (laughs) Yeah. Clickbait, not clickbait. Um, uh, so yeah, things are, things are changing and I feel like I could probably go a little bit more minimalist right now. Well, what what are you editing with though? Are you in, are you in Final Cut now or do you still go back and forth or what's the... So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing Final Cut. Just I want to see what it's like. I was kind of getting fed up with some stuff in Premiere. Um, and so I did at least a week or so of videos purely on Final Cut. And then a couple of days ago, I switched back to Premiere again just to see what it was like. And I got to say, I'm enjoying Premiere again. I think I'm just so used to it. Like, yeah. I'm just so it, fast It's hard. It. It's hard to fight muscle memory like that. And yeah. switching is really hard. And it's to just anything. little... Yeah, it's tiny little things like the way that you import footage into Premiere versus Final Cut. It's a little bit different. Like, when I just drag in my folders of my ESR footage, my Mavic, whatever, they would come in as fol- folders right away in Premiere. Whereas on Final Cut, I don't know if there's an option to change it, but like it gets sorted by days right away by default. And I was like, oh, I don't, that's weird to me. Like, I don't, I don't like that right now. It might be better, but for me, it was weird. And so like, it's all things where like you can do it almost exactly the same way. You just have to learn it and learning all of those little steps is when you're working and trying to get a video out every day, not, that's not what you want to spend your time doing sometimes. Yeah. It can just be a big challenge. Um, I, I but, gotta okay. say, it, Final Cut has gotten w- way better than when I used it last. Like it's it's in- really really good. But yeah, I'm just well, what's going to be right now. a breaking point in the future is once I mean, if you saw it during the keynote, now they already have Final Cut running on the new um, ARM Apple Silicon architecture, right? So yep. all of a sudden, I think there's going to be a really hard line drawn between anything that's written optimized for Mac hardware and things that are not. So, uh, well, meaning Adobe specifically is going to have it all of it. Like it already is a bit slower, right? Like I'm sure that's part of the reason you were interested in Final Cut in the first place is because like export times are way faster. 100%. You can work with more 4k streams at once. If you're doing multicam or like it just, it handles footage faster. That dip, that gap is going to massively widen once it's all running on Apple made from the ground up hardware, and then the software is written exactly for that hardware. 
Um, and I, basically it's the, the olden days where there was like more of a, you know, PC versus Mac, uh, rivalry. Cause I, I don't know. I, that doesn't even seem to exist anymore as far as I'm concerned. Like it really doesn't oh, matter oh, which it, computer I, you use. I feel like with people in their minds, it still okay, exists. Well, they don't listen. They don't listen to this show <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway, <laughs> or I, I ban them in the comments if they uh, try to. <laughs> okay. But because it, it wasn't, it just wasn't that real. Like you could do yeah. the exact same jobs on any hardware you want. It was never a limitation and it was really a matter of preference. But I think we're about to get to this point where it's going to become more, they'll become a more real difference. Like we don't know all of the repercussions of it, but one of the big things that I'm, I'm really hammering on that I, I just think this is one of the most interesting things that's about to happen is because you're going to be with Big Sur, you're going to be able to run, and I guess this would only be on the new computers. You're going to have to have an Apple Silicon computer, but you're going to be able to natively run your iOS apps, which are doing all of this crazy VFX stuff right now. Like, you can download all these apps that do things that you'd have to actually learn After Effects to do. And then when you would render it out, it would take, you know, two hours to render it at 4K. But on your phone, it's doing it in real time while you're recording it um, in terms of like, you know, the filters in Instagram and in Snapchat. Or there's like VFX apps where you can add explosions or you can or the, the types of like filters and image processing and titling and all this stuff that is way harder to do on a real computer is suddenly going to become like trivial because you're running an iPhone app of it and that won't be available for any of windows or Linux. Um, and that will be a huge gap. Like that'll really change the incentive of like, why would you choose a PC or a Mac? Because it's not right now, all that you lose if you choose a Mac instead of a PC is like, okay, I can't use final cut, but if you already love premiere, that's no loss, right? Like if you're, if you're in premiere, it's like, okay, it's almost the same choice. There's some reasons to go to a PC. Um, and it's just, it's not going to be that anymore, which is, which, which makes it really interesting to like tech right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always curious about this. Is final cut going to be like for free built in on it? No, it's just that it runs. Okay, yeah. It's it's just already it's, running on the new. Like they yeah. have it running on an iPad processor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that's is like crazy. I'm really curious too. Like I don't know if this is when when this starts to happen, but like I've already been saying for the longest time, like something like an iPad should be like an extension of an editing program. Like you should be able to, for example, just move around clips on the iPad, and then you just use your your. Um, your MacBook or whatever to do like the hard processing or whatever. Um, I feel like it should all be integrated more or maybe even your iPhone. Like, I don't know how, how that would, but like, have you tried doing it with sidecar at all? I have a little bit, but it's still not the same because you can't, uh, you can't move around clips and like split them. And I don't, none of that is in there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it basically just makes, uh, gives you a touchscreen version of the same OS, right? Like you're not getting a different experience. It just, puts it on a second screen yeah so i want to like well i mean in the future like i want a vr or ar experience of editing i want to be able to sit in the park and just have like 15 <laughs> screens up and like be moving around my arms like minority report uh, styled editing but like until we get to that i think like something like an ipad is like the extension to make things a little bit easier and faster um you know it be- essentially it could become a big trackpad touchscreen type thing um so yeah i'm excited to see what happens with all of this stuff have you used uh, davinci at all or are you 
not experimenting in that world? Uh, I used to color grade when I when I would um, do freelance jobs and stuff. I would color grade a lot in DaVinci just because the color grading is incredible in DaVinci. But I never really, I've never forced myself to edit a bunch of videos in DaVinci. Um, but I've heard a lot of good things and it is free. So like, it's hard to be free right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's going, I think it's going to kind of be the future in a lot of ways because of the freeness of it, because it can yeah. compete with the others. So many people are going to learn on it and then stick to it once they have a career. So, uh, even though, yeah, I don't use it either. Like I'm a, I'm a final cut editor, but I think it's going to play a huge role moving forward. So yeah, I, I recommend it to everybody who's like starting out because I'm like, oh, you probably don't have money to spend on a program. And I so like, here's a free one. It's actually really good. Like if you're going to learn something, you might want to learn that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what uh, what other projects do you have coming up now that you're hanging out at home like the rest of us? How What's, what's your plan for the next few months? So I'm just kind of going with the flow right now. I did already have like a... A short film that me and my friend uh, Jesse Senko were gonna shoot, and then Corona hit, and obviously everything got everything is different now. Um, but we are planning to do that next. Uh, I think it's gonna be like a it's gonna be a fun fun little project. I haven't shot a short film for a long time, um, and I'm just I'm really looking forward to traveling as soon as things get a little bit better. Um, but right now everything's kind of on hold because uh, we have another kid on the way. So. Oh. Like, it's not bad. It's not bad timing for it in a way, though, because you're already home, so you can spend exactly. family times easier to to find right now. Yeah, we were like, you know, we probably have to kind of stay at home and not not travel at this point anyway. So uh, it's it's fine, but uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, kind of the next chapter. I think this this feels like a new chapter for my channel for my career. Um, and then I have I have like I'm working on so one company that I've, I've I've talked about now is we the project where it's it's a place for creatives to connect and then to find work uh, for freelancers and stuff on on there we the project um, so I've been helping out with that giving them a bunch of feedback and going through the designs and all that stuff and now now it's in beta um, and then I have another company that um, me and my manager slash partner uh, Tyler. Uh, are working on but that's kind of more secretive right now so Ooh. like i have a bunch of side things too that um uh that i'm working on i, I i'm so people may not realize this is like i don't consider myself an artist at all like in school i hated english and art class and i would never take a photography class in high school like that would be the farthest furthest thing from what i would want to do in high school um, so my, my brain is really like logical and I'm super business minded and all that stuff. So, um, I feel like this YouTube channel and this platform has given me an opportunity to also dabble in all of that stuff. And constantly, my brother is a developer. He works for Shopify. Um, we're always hanging out and thinking of like, what could, what, what's the next thing we could do or what could we work on together? Or like, what are some problems that we could solve? So, um, yeah, I think it's just a really exciting time right now. Yeah, I'm in the same boat in not not thinking of what I do as artistry ever. Like I, and it's an argument that I had when I was uh, I didn't go to art school, went to like um, technical college or whatever. So I was doing the tech side from the beginning. But there's an art school right beside it, so I had friends over there, and it was definitely an argument I had more than once about <laughs> you know, how much is like photography and art. And I just don't. Yeah, I don't really think of it that way. I know that it 
it can be, but it is more of an, an approach. Like if you have an artistic approach to filmmaking or uh, photography, then um, that that's something it can be, or it's almost even, it's almost even a business model. It's like, yeah, if you want to do fine art photography, that can be a way to try to build a business. It's a very, very challenging way. And a lot yeah. of people succeed at it. So if you approach these things in terms of a commercial endeavor, like commercial photography, commercial video production, um, you're more likely to find a career doing something you can love doing, even though it, it doesn't maybe sound as a, like creatively expressive, but it really can be. So, yeah, I always, I, I kind of like, like I don't like going to a, an art museum and looking at paintings. But if I had like a, the painter or somebody telling me the story behind that painting, like what what the meaning or purpose of it is, then I'm super interested. So like that's kind of the same thing um, with how I treat my videos and stuff. Like I don't really want, I don't want to make just like beautiful videos i want there to be a purpose to it mm -hmm. or a point or a reason to it and that's just that's just the way my brain works yeah i get that um there's one other note i had of something else i want to talk about before i before i let you go we we both got i think the same maybe the same lg tv really recently because <laughs> yeah. you just posted a video about it i haven't done a video yet yeah um and, and lg did send it to both of us so uh just bear that in mind but i've never had an amazing tv before so like this isn't mm. this is this is not sponsored but like ho holy crap having a big really good oled tv is really good i don't know if it goes without saying but like <laughs> were, 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 were you blown away when you turned it on so i i actually I, i'm i'm like uh i guess a year ahead of you i bought uh lg oled tv it was one of the older ones it was on sale i was like oh this is this is a great price for the oled um i think it was like 1500 bucks and previously it was so much more expensive and i was like i i, I yeah, appreciate movies and good tv shows so much that i want to make the experience like the best it can be so i was like i'm gonna buy a new tv and a new sound system and i ended up going with the lg oled tv and like I love it. Like just yesterday, we watched uh, the the new Eurovision movie. Oh yeah, we just you... watched that too. And then my it's wife's incredible. been my wife's been playing the soundtrack on repeat in the uh, car every day. <laughs> we literally played the soundtrack right after we watched the movie, eating <laughs> yeah. uh, eating dinner or whatever it was. It's incredible. And like, man, I was I was just watching it, and I just turned to my wife, and I'm like, oh, I appreciate this TV so much. So when LG was like, hey, like, we noticed, you know, like, you don't have a TV at your office right now. Like, do you want one? I was like, heck yes. Like, it is, it changes things so much. Just Like, especially coming from a filmmaker background, um, like, I, my eyes are really sensitive to colors and the way that things look. And I can tell when, like, this isn't the actual color grade. Like, this isn't yeah. how it's supposed to look. And that's what I had with my last, I forget what TV I even had. Uh, I think it might've been an older Samsung or something like that. And like the colors were just, just never accurate. They were never, I knew that this movie is supposed to be like a nice teal tone to it. And it's just like magenta. And I'm like, ah, come on. Like, and so, yeah, I decided to finally splurge a little bit and uh, get the, get the LG OLED. And so, yeah, I've been loving obviously this one too at the office. Yeah. I think I'm actually going to pull out my like, 
Pro, my hardware color calibrator and calibrate it like a proper monitor just to get it as yep. close as I can and see what it can really do. Because a lot of the reason I was excited about it was even to just watch my own YouTube videos on it. I was like, I just want to see yeah. what it looks like on the biggest, best possible screen. Like videos like your 1080 versus 4K video. It's so funny because like we spend so much time thinking about this stuff and then we just watch it on our phones where it doesn't matter. Yep. You need yep. a TV that, I mean, so yeah, mine's 65 inches, which it, it's so funny that, that that's become a default size. Like that's pretty normal in the store, but it feels enormous. It feels so it massive. Huge. Like it's yeah. a theater in your home. It's a home yeah. theater. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it, uh, it, that you need something about that size at a normal viewing distance to even possibly perceive the distance, the difference between 1080 and 4K. Um, and you can so the 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 best place to see it is especially like game content um because the edges are perfectly crisp right like it's mm-hmm. just it's sharp 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 um yep. so then it becomes the most obvious i found when it comes to video i mean if it's shot well you may not know which one you're watching uh i'm going to i'm going to do a little more testing and i think that's that's the video i'll create about the tv is is a bit more of an analysis of like what attributes of image quality actually matter from a filmmaker's perspective like when you're what 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 does make the viewing experience better and what is just you know sort of marketing and sugarcoating on top of it yeah it's funny like you know like back in the day at least like 120 hertz was huge 240 like and like that didn't really actually mean much on a tv (laughs) like it didn't make any difference do you use Um, the filmmaker mode when you're watching um so i haven't i've been i haven't like decided what i'm using but a lot of the, I, um, what is the Dolby Vision? Yeah. I think like that one, for example, it starts playing, I think it plays at like 30 frames per second or maybe or something. Like it, it changes the look of it. Um, it's like that true true motion or whatever they call it on different TVs. I hate, like my parents will always have that. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I got to turn this off right away. Like I can't have that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like things like I didn't. I didn't care about 4K, for example, on my TV. I just wanted like really accurate colors. Dyna- like HDR is way more, I think, important to have like a good range of of contrast versus, uh, yeah, what we've had before. Um, those things matter a lot more to me, I think, than like having in 4K. I'll take the 4K too, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, a good example, like one of the things that bothered me the most on my 1080 LG that I'm replacing with this is that in in the LCD uh, 1080 screen that I, that I just got rid of, it, I could see a, a lot of glow in the blacks, especially in certain corners. So it, it wasn't just the contrast ratio. It's not just that the blacks weren't completely black, but certain it was unevenly black. Certain parts would yeah. just be a little hotter, and, and that is distracting. So the maybe number one priority is I don't want to be distracted by something that isn't part of the viewing experience. Like I want to be focused on what I'm watching, not looking, I don't want to be looking at the quality basically. And if there's anything that takes you out of what the story is and what the image is, that's a detriment. So um, yeah, again, it's not, it's not about more. like ultimate resolution, things like that. Just It's just not being distracted. So yeah, I couldn't put it better myself. I mean, the only thing I may be distracted by is like yesterday being like, 
dang, this thing looks so good. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's one uh, one downside of ha- as you put more effort into your home viewing experience, there can your mind can be thinking for a while about like, I wonder which settings I could change to make this look a little yeah. more accurate or a little better. And if I had a sound bar, then this blah blah like sometimes you can take yourself out of it by imagining every detail of like, did I tweak this exactly perfectly yet? Or could I make it 10% better? Which is not worth thinking about. (laughs) Just, just watch the movie. Yeah. Straight out of the box. The, like even my older LG OLED TV, like, uh, yeah, it just, there, there aren't those same distractions like you're talking about. I just enjoy whatever the movie TV show is. And like now I get the, the real like, oh, this is this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, uh, so sure. yeah, I love it. Maddie, I'm so glad that we could uh, catch up and have a time to chat. Thanks for coming on. This was great. Thanks so much for having me.